You're listening to Health Pilots, where we interview people pursuing new solutions to healthcare in low-income communities. In spite of significant challenges, our guests are passionate and relentless in doing things in a new way. In each episode, you'll hear how they use techniques from design thinking, how they work with tech startups, and how they create a culture of innovation in their organization. Every interview offers practical advice and new ideas you can apply today. I'm your host, Chris Conley. Welcome to Health Pilots, and thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Ray Pettin from the Center for Care Innovations. We're thrilled today to be joined by Tammy Fisher, the Senior Director at CCI. Tammy is involved in a broad range of programs here at CCI that many of you have already taken part in. Now, we have the opportunity to hear from Tammy in her own words. Tammy, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us on Health Pilots today. It would certainly be great to hear a little bit about you and what brought you to CCI. How come you're here? Thank you, Ray, for inviting me to be part of this today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I have been working in healthcare for about 20 years. 15 years, uh, in the last 15 years, I've spent most of my time working in organizations that support community health centers and care delivery systems in providing high quality or value-based care to their patients. I have worked in organizations that provide technical assistance in the form of different programs, really aimed at care delivery transformation. And I've worked for organizations where I have been a coach going out in the community health centers and really supporting them in making the kinds of changes that are needed to provide high value care. And when I talk about value, I'm talking about value from the patient's perspective. So looking at patient outcomes, effectiveness of care, are they getting the right screenings and services they need given their conditions or disease states? Are they getting the preventative services that they need to prevent uh, disease from happening Patient outcomes plus the patient experience. Are they getting care when they need it and not when we think they need it? Is the care being provided in partnership with those patients? Are they part of their shared decision making? Are they real partners in their healthcare, helping to come up with solutions for how they can manage their health better? And then finally, providing this type of care using the fewest resources possible. And so a lot of my work has been dedicated over the last 15 years to helping organizations provide that kind of value to their patients. And what brought me to CCI is having the ability to work more closely with community health centers on programs aimed at providing value-based care. So I was excited to join the CCI team to work on different aspects of value. And I just loved the idea of bringing innovation into a lot of the value-based care conversations in terms of IT-enabled care and thinking of different ways of providing care outside the four walls. And so that really excited me and brought me to CCI. So you listed a dozen or so things that you bring to the table that you've been working on for 15 or 20 years. Does that mean that within CCI, you select one of those and work on it? Or is it embedded in a program of 
of greater consequence? Do you combine things? Tell me a little bit more about the programs that you're deeply involved with here at CCI. Yeah, that's a great question. Most of the programs that I'm involved in are really helping organizations build the capabilities and competencies that they need to deliver high-value care. And there are a number of uh, training opportunities that go in to these programs, and some of these programs link with one another. They're not done in silos. So, for example, I oversee the Spreading Innovations program that really focuses um, mostly on technology-enabled care. How do we start using phone visits? How do we start using patient portals and texting and video collaboration and telehealth to provide care that's accessible, convenient, and care that engages patients around their health? At the same time, I'm leading a program called the Population Health Management Offerings as part of the California Capitation Payment Preparedness Program, CP3. And as part of that work, I'm bringing in a lot of what we're learning from spreading innovations to help organizations think about alternatives to face-to-face visits now that payment is going to change and there will be more flexibility for them to provide care based on what patients need and not based on how they're going to get paid. Mm -hmm. So that's a great example of how I have merged learnings from one program to feed into another program. The last program that I'll highlight uh, demonstrates the need for collaboration of other CCI staff across programs. And SA has a great program called the Safety Net Analytics Program, SNAP. And so she and I are collaborating now to see what can we pull from that program to help organizations participating in the CP3 work build the right data systems that they need to begin shifting from managing only active patients that come into their doors to managing an entire population of patients that are assigned to them, and they may not even know how to contact those patients. So really understanding what is that data infrastructure that's needed to really support this shift. Mm -hmm. So you're doing a lot of teaching. You're doing a lot of training. You're exposing people to tools that they may never have seen before. Beyond trying to get the information out, beyond trying to teach people about how to better use what they have available, what are the challenges that you face as you go through these these exercises with programs and actually working with people in the safety net? What are the biggest challenges that you're facing? Yeah, the biggest challenges that we're facing in terms of being a TA or technical assistance provider are the own internal struggles and challenges that these organizations are dealing with. I think one of the big ones is actually retaining staff, Mm. um, clinicians, support Mm. staff, and finding new clinicians Mm. and staff to support the work that they're doing and carry out their care models. So I think we're we're seeing a lot of clinician burnout. We see uh, a decrease in supply of clinicians, and we're now starting to see a lot of that on the support staff side. What's happening is people's roles, medical assistants, registered nurses, 
they're changing and it's exciting, especially for nurses and MAs who are new to healthcare because they're more involved in direct patient care. But that hasn't been the case in the earlier years. And so it's harder to shift mindsets and behaviors Mm -hmm. as roles are expanding, they're changing, and expectations are different. So I think the workforce is one of the big challenges. Um, How does that impact us in the program world? Sometimes these organizations aren't successful because they don't have the right teams in place and the right support to keep those teams in place. So we do see attrition, um, even on the leadership side. If they don't have engaged leaders or leaders that are leaving, it is really hard to get the work that we're helping them build sustained, and sometimes they have to drop out of the program. So I'd say that is a big challenge. And then the second big challenge that I'll highlight is really around competing priorities. The community health centers that we work with are very resource scarce, and they're really trying to figure out how to be efficient with the resources they have. And there is so much happening in healthcare today. I mean, we're still trying to stabilize systems and processes from the ACA, and now we're piling on more stuff on these health centers. And so really being deliberate and clear about where the linkages and alignment are to help them see that this isn't just another program that we're throwing on the pile of work that they have, but that it's a critical piece that aligns with all the other work they're doing and that the goal is the same, high value care and being as efficient as we can with our clinical resources. So competing priorities and the um, workforce and issues around that are probably the two biggest challenges that have impacted our programs. Very interesting. Uh, It sounds like you're working with leadership in the community health organizations as well as frontline staff. Just out of curiosity, where do you get the biggest acceptance of the idea of the change that's necessary to move, as you say, from volume to value? And where do you get the most engagement in these groups in trying to move from volume to value? Yeah, I think it's a a mix of everything. It definitely depends on the change Mm -hmm. and it depends on the organization. What is critical is that you have a bottom-up and a top-down approach and they're kind of meeting in the middle. To move from fee-for-service to value or to move from an old PPS payment model to capitation, that is what we call a huge adaptive challenge or adaptive change. And there isn't this quick fix or easy technical solution that you can plug in. You're dealing with emotions, behavior change, problems you can't really define right now. You don't know what this is going to mean. There's no prescription out there to, to follow. And so it requires engaged leaders or what I call adaptive leaders, Mm. Uh, leaders who leave their ego behind, leaders who see their people as real assets Mm. and that they look to their people to help them define what are the problems we're up against as we move from fee-for-service to a different payment model and help 
me figure out what are the right solutions Mm -hmm. and adaptive leaders who are always thinking they're always one step ahead they aren't abandoning this current business model Mm -hmm. right because they're not going to be financially sustainable if they do but they do have their sandbox where they're testing out new ways Mm -hmm. of starting to adapt to more of a capitated value-based model Mm -hmm. and these are leaders that are really uh, critical and having that kind of adaptive mindset is really important. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you want to hire the right people Mm -hmm. who have open minds and open hearts (laughs) and people who see themselves as partners or key stakeholders in this process Mm -hmm. that they are being pulled in to really be a part of defining what is this health center going to look like? What is our care model going to look like under this new payment uh, model or payment changes? And finding the right people who can lead a lot of these changes. Because we know that people doing the work are the people who are in the best position to tell you what's wrong, mm-hmm. where there are gaps. Mm-hmm. They're the best to tell you what they think may work. And they can go out and test it for you and be champions. Mm-hmm. So it's critical to have both. And across the programs that I manage, I see in some organizations, they've got that great group of folks who are on the ground making changes, but then they run into roadblocks when they don't have that leadership engagement. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen the flip where you've got these engaged leaders that are really struggling Mm -hmm. to become adaptive leaders because Mm -hmm. this is a very progressive way of leadership that a lot of us weren't taught and we're just now starting to learn how to do that because we know that is what's required. And so they're looking for more support in, mm-hmm. in how to lead their people. And then you've got organizations that have a great mix and they tend to be the most successful in these programs. Interesting. You mentioned earlier that uh, you're involving the patients or the population, the community, the people who live in the community that are being served by the community health organization in the process. And you've talked to a great deal about adaptive leadership. You've talked a great deal about the need to have creative staff who are very engaged, very mission focused. As you bring the patients or the community into the discussion, how does that change the dynamic of what I've been exposed to for years and years and years about how to run a healthcare organization? How does it change when you bring that into the equation? Yeah, and you know, personally, I have brought patients in when I've run programs, but I haven't been very effective at it. Um, and at CCI, I have not done that as of yet. We are talking about doing that for a program that we just launched called Treating Addiction in Primary Care Safety Net. In fact, I just got off a call with a number of advisors and we are building into our agenda having actual patients at the session, joining all the different pieces of the work and really reacting and sharing their perspective based on what we're covering in the agenda. So I'm very excited about that. I have seen CCI do that in other programs, and I've really been encouraged by that where we are bringing patients in and helping them do some Mm -hmm. co-design in terms of what health centers should really start focusing on in terms of solutions. And so I know that we've been doing 
a lot of that work. And what excites me about it is that we're practicing what we ask clinicians to do with their patients in terms of motivational interviewing or really engaging them as partners in figuring out, you know, what are the things that patients need to work on and engaging them in coming up with some of the solutions or strategies for managing their care better. And what I love is that we're taking that to a program level. And instead of defining what we think are the services that patients need, we're asking them, what do you need? And help us actually design what those services are. So I love that we are modeling that in our own programs so that organizations can go beyond patient advisory boards, which I think is so important and critical, and I certainly have experience with that, to even engaging patients on a deeper level Mm -hmm. where you're bringing them to the table Mm -hmm. and having them co-design what it is that you are trying to create a solution for. Hmm. Very good. Now, assume for a moment that you're successful broadly in the safety net and you develop a cohort of adaptive leaders, your word. You develop a group of engaged frontline personnel who stay with the organization long-term, and you've developed a methodology to engage the community or the patients, depending on how you want to characterize them. Assuming for a moment that you're successful in, in getting all that developed and deployed into the safety net, describe for me, describe for our audience what the impact and the benefits to the overall delivery system would be from that success and what the delivery system might look like a year from now, two years from now, five years from now when you've engaged these folks. Yeah, I I think we'll start focusing more on what matters to patients versus what's the matter with patients. I think we'll definitely see that shift I think we'll also have portable data that really helps us understand the different touch points Mm -hmm. that patients have, including non-traditional data, so data actually coming out of the community, data that's coming directly from patients Mm -hmm. on what their experiences are, and using that kind of data to really understand what are patients' needs, Mm -hmm. and having that flexibility to tailor the services that we provide based Mm -hmm. on their needs. So using some of this uh, technology-enhanced type of care that I mentioned earlier, and that we have an engaged workforce that is excited um, to really recognize patients as partners and provide care with patients as partners. Um, I think we'll also start to see that safety net clinics are where people want to go and not where people have to go. Mm. That safety net clinics are really a place where patients are valued Mm -hmm. and that clinicians and their care teams care Mm -hmm. about patients, that they know who their patients are. They know um, their Uh, background, they know their histories, Mm -hmm. they know their social, spiritual, and psycho, you know, psycho, yeah, spiritual kind of, um, you know, context, Mm -hmm. and that they are there for the patient. Mm -hmm. So I really see a place where care is designed around the patient, Mm -hmm. and that we have 
the right data systems in place to support that. We have the right people mm-hmm. in place to support the patient and do the actual work mm-hmm. that needs to be done, and that we have the right payment systems mm-hmm. in place to align with care that we all want to provide and receive versus care that we need to provide because this is how we're going to get paid for it. Right. Do you think this is only applicable to the safety net? No, I I think it's the kind of care that everyone in the world deserves. But I think the safety net can be real leaders in uh, providing Hmm. that kind of care. I find that the safety net um, teams or care teams that work in the safety net clinicians support staff their hearts are in the right place. They're very mission driven. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of care model aligns with their intrinsic mm-hmm. motivation. And we wouldn't need to be using all this extrinsic kind of <laughs> incentives or rewards because I think we're really appealing to people's values. And we're all consumers of, of healthcare. And it's really about creating a world in a, in a selfish way that's better for us and our kids and future mm-hmm. grandkids and mm-hmm. everyone to come. So what's your biggest aha moment so far? My biggest aha moment. Um, change is really hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this isn't, it's, I wouldn't say it's an aha, but just when you think of something small, like adding, you know, standing or, standing orders to MAs or, you know, expanding the role of, of the RN to do what I call co-visits or flip visits mm-hmm. um, or starting to introduce telephone visits into the schedule template. There's a lot of emotion involved and it's just a lot of work. So really? even making small changes takes a lot of time and work. And my biggest learning is start investing in a lot of that up front and spend the time to bring people along before you give them the task work to do. Um, Really understand people and and how to work with people and then give them the task work or or engage them in helping figure out what that task work is. So I'd say that is a big aha. And then the second one is, I feel like healthcare has been very slow moving, um, but in the last five years, I feel like it's just moving at such a fast pace. And that's why I think this adaptive leadership piece is so important because it calls for a very different kind of leadership. We need to be a step ahead or we're going to be left behind. If we don't have a sandbox where we're testing things while holding on to our old model, then we are going to be left behind. And so I think this rapid pace of all the changes that have been happening has been a huge aha for me. Hmm. So assuming for a moment that all the programs are successful, assuming for a moment that we make the cultural changes and deal with the human factors of that change and people are happy and we're retaining staff and people are mission committed, what do you see the future for CCI moving forward? with all your programs being successful. What's, what, where do you see CCI going beyond that? Yeah, the successful is, is an interesting word um, and hard to define because I think we'll always have things to learn mm-hmm. and we'll always have to learn from the people we're serving mm-hmm. and also learn from the different partners 
that we're engaging. So I think we can always do better and really strengthen the programs that we have. And then also looking um, ahead, you know, what is our sandbox look mm-hmm. like? What are the new things that we're going to be start starting to experiment with, whether it's new topics, because mm-hmm. we've been largely focused on pushing value. Mm-hmm. Are there other topics? Mm-hmm. Are there other markets outside of uh, California and New Jersey? And we've done some work in Colorado and Oregon where we want to be um, to start sharing what we've learned, but also to use those outside markets to help us understand what we could bring back mm-hmm. to the California safety net. Um, so really figuring out what new areas we want to start tackling in, in terms of content, in terms of new markets, uh, new partners that we want to engage, and most importantly, staying at the cutting edge, mm-hmm. um, you know, really understanding what's new, what's coming down the pipeline, and how do we quickly learn about those things and engage partners who are experts to mm-hmm. really support that and bring those new solutions and new programs into the safety net. Terrific. So among our listeners today, um, I'm sure that we have some people who are wondering how to become more deeply involved in this kind of an effort. So what advice would you give to the audience in terms of how to become involved, how, the, how they themselves can become engaged in the journey that you've begun and are now moving forward? Yeah, I think it's really important to leverage your social networks, you know, really understand, you know, who are key partners that that you know now or who are key individuals that you can start talking to, Um, you know, where are some of the key resources within your own network and really start leveraging those and seeing them as assets to sort of help advance any kind of work that you're doing. For the value-based payment work, CPCA, the California Primary Care Association, California Association of Public Hospitals, CAPH, they have been really uh, strong players in the alternative payment pilot in California. And so if you are a member of those organizations, it's great to reach out to them. We have a ton of resources on the CCI website under payment redesign center for care innovations.org. And, Oh no, I, I think I got our web address. Wrong. Oh, you got it right. Center for care innovations.org. It's not careinnovations.org. Use that one. Um, and, you know, I think it's a lot of these associations that, you know, organizations belong to. I mean, tapping into those organizations um, is important and identifying where those partners are to sort of help you. So those people that, that pick up health pilots that are outside the state of California, typically they would have some kind of an organization like a California Association of Public Hospitals or like a, C, a, 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 a CPCA type of organization in their own state that they might tap into. But if people were listening and wanted to learn more from you, how would they engage you in that discussion? Yeah, um, email me. Tammy at careinnovations.org. I love having these types of discussions and would be happy to have a conversation with you. 
Terrific. Um, what else would you like to share with our Health Pilots listeners? You know, as we're looking at kind of the landscape of healthcare, kind of their own life, because we have people that, that listen to Health Pilots that are inside the safety net. We have people that listen to Health Pilots that are, that are, are outside the safety net. What would you like to convey to them you know, in, in terms of, of what they need to accomplish in their lives? Yeah, I think this gets back to the ahas, um, one that I uh, forgot but would be remiss if, if I didn't share it, and just the importance of relationships. Um, you know, I think a lot of the work that we do and whether it's going to be successful or not really depends on the kinds of relationships and partnerships that we build. And so I think it's important to really get to know who are the opinion leaders, the key partners, the key relationships that you really need to build uh, within your own communities and really going outside of the four walls and figuring out who needs to be brought in and understanding that a lot of this gets done based on relationships Mm -hmm. and not just having an agreement Mm -hmm. executed. And so I think relationships are um, extremely important. Terrific. Well, thank you, Tammy, for taking time today. I know that everybody listening will be inspired by your journey thus far. Uh, And I'm sure that you will generate some email traffic. So we appreciate you making yourself available that way. Um, And we want to thank you very, very much uh, for spending time with Health Pilots today. And thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. To everybody listening, you can find a summary of the conversation with Tammy and the relevant links on our episode page. So if you're not listening to this on our website, please visit www.theinnovationhubs.org to find the show notes and all the other episodes of Health Pilots. Thanks for listening today, everybody. We'll see you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Health Pilots, a podcast that brings you ideas, inspiration, and advice to pilot new solutions for care in the safety net. Subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. We hope you take what you learn from the show and try it on your own. For more great ideas and inspiration, visit our website, www.theinnovationhubs.org. While there, subscribe with your email to receive our latest content as soon as it's released. Our show is made possible by the California Healthcare Foundation. Visit them at www.chcf.org. Health Pilots is a production of the Center for Care Innovations. Learn about all their great work to foster innovation in the safety net at www.careinnovations.org. We'll see you on the next episode of Health Pilots.